to you all. How's everybody? We are so glad you're here. If you've got your Bibles, go to the John chapter 11. We're going to dive into a story here in just a moment. If this is your first time with us, or you've been with us lots of times, uh, we teach in series, and uh, we are in a third week of a series called See Like Jesus. Um, week one, we started off with that Jesus sees sin. He, he sees us who we are, where we are. Nothing can hide from that. Last week, we looked at Jesus sees those hidden saviors, those things that we place in, in significant roles, and it pushes him aside. So we looked at those hidden saviors in our lives. And so this week, we, to, we start to make a little bit of a turn because we're going to look at how Jesus sees pain because all of us experience it, and it comes in different ways and different styles, and it, 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 but it comes to us. And so I want you to do is I want you to look at these photos for just a second. There's just going to be several photos that are gonna, just going to kind of go across the, the screens here, but take a look. The reality is, is that everybody experiences pain, and everybody needs to know that there is a God who sees their pain and also responds to their pain. And I think one of the problems that we have is that we think that Jesus looks at our lives through a set of binoculars, that he sees us from a distance, and he's just kind of way over there. He's kind of looking out, and he's like, you're uh, I'm just kind of looking around, and I think a lot of people think that Jesus sees from a distance, but I'm going to remind you something really important this morning. He sees you up close and personal. Amen. There's not anything in your life that he isn't aware of. There's not anything that he can't do something about. He is not, and hear me on this, he is not spending more time with somebody else because they're more valuable than you. You are his child. You are created in his image for a reason and for a purpose. So he cares as much about your life as anybody else is in this room this morning. Okay? There's nothing that he looks at and goes, I, you know, man, Corey needs a lot more of my attention than you right now. So I'm just going to move over here. That's not how he works. He gives equal to all. To all. And so I, I think sometimes we think, well, God's not really care about my stuff. Somebody else's stuff is way more important. No, he cares about your pain. He cares about your life. He cares about the things that are going on in your world. And so get this idea that he is not looking at your life from a set of binoculars from way off. He is up close, in person, walking with you and looking at your life intimately so you can be rest assured that he cares and is going to walk with you through this journey. How do I know this? Because... I have seen God work in my own life, and I've seen Him work. I've seen Him give me people along my seasons of life that have comforted me. They said the things at the right time. There was scripture. There was prayers. There was a song. There was a sermon. Uh, it's amazing how God uses all of those things to grab our attention. And I, I decided to kind of look, and you don't have to go to any of these verses, but you get a sense that Jesus could see really well the people that he loved. 
So listen to these real quick. Matthew 9, 36, and he says, When Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're actually going to be in that passage next week. When he went, on, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. That's Mark or Matthew 14, 14. Uh, Luke 7, 13 says this, And when he saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Luke 1941, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. And I love this in Hebrews 14 or 415 says this. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has in every respect has been emptied out out on our yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That Jesus is well acquainted with pain and suffering. Am I right? He is. He knows. It's not like he's unaware. He has experienced it from the moment of birth to his death, burial, and resurrection. He knows what's going on in our world. Paul David Tripp, um, he wrote a really amazing book uh, about pain and suffering. And one of the things I've done, uh, there's a little table right back there. Uh, there are so many things out there about having you, how to help you navigate pain and suffering. Um, and there's, a book, there's some free stuff back on that table. If it helps you, take it, okay? If you know somebody who needs it, give it, all right? You don't need to give it back to me. You don't need to check it out. It's right on that back table. Take it if it'll help you take a step. We spent 10 weeks on Wednesday night talking about how our faith is shaped by pain and suffering. And so that's really important. But Paul David Tripp said this, is the one whom we cry out when we, let me back up, the one to whom we cry out when we cry out in, in pain knows our pain because suffering of some kind has his experience from the moment of his birth until his final, until his final breath. He understood. He understood what it was like to go through all that we experience. He is not unaware. He knows how, we've, how we navigate all this. So we're going to look at kind of in bite-sized chunks this, this passage in, in John 11 because you get this idea that Jesus is, he understands pain and suffering and he understands how to, to step into it in our lives. And so we're going to walk through this. You've got a, a piece of paper that you can take notes on if it helps you, but I want to kind of walk us through in kind of bite-sized chunks. The theme about this is really amazing. Jesus is telling them to have faith and that the glory of God is going to be revealed by about what he's about to do. How many of you know somebody right now that's going through pain and suffering of some kind? Okay, more than half of you raised your hands. And I know this about pain. Pain has a way of, of making it difficult to hear from God because the pain is speaking pretty loud in our lives or in somebody that you love's life. And so let's look at this story. Because Jesus is about to take his disciples and a lot of other people on a journey. So Matthew 11, starting in verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus of Bethany. And the, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. And that's Mary Martha, the one that fixed the meal. It's her brother, their brother. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her, her hair. And one of the brothers Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, The Lord to whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard and said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus is giving them, uh, Jesus says, I've got a plan here. 
It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. And so when the Lord heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Uh, what? Wait a second, Jesus. You don't understand. My brother is about to die. I need you to show up now. Jesus heard that. He heard he was ill. Do you think that Jesus knew how, bad, how sick he really was? He did. He did. He wasn't like, oh, I didn't realize he was so sick. I would have showed up sooner. Jesus knew what he was doing. And I love this about my Jesus because there's nothing, nothing that catches him off guard. There's nothing, there's not anything that you go, he never ever goes, oh, I never saw that coming. He never says that. He knows what he's doing. It's just that do we trust what he's doing? Verse 7. And so after that, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were not seeking to, weren't they seeking to stone you? And are you going again? And Jesus answered, there are 12 hours in a day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light that's in the world. But anyone who walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. Remember that verse. Make a little note. Verse 11. You know why that's important? Because he is making a promise. He's making a promise to do something. It's really important. Now, his disciples think that he's referencing like he's taking us. He's like resting. Jesus always sees it for what it is. And the disciples in verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, will he recover? The the, the Bible doesn't do it here, but Jesus would go, (sighs) that would be where he would do that. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And, and, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe because he's running to demonstrate that, that he is going to do something extraordinary in this moment. But let us go to him so that Thomas, and so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. The disciples were notorious for saying things because it sounded spiritual, but it really had no, it was random. You know, it was just, they, they said these things, and there's like, uh, you don't even know what you just said. That was one of them. So, here's a question that as I was getting ready for this that I, I want to throw out to you guys. Why would Jesus delay two days? This is important. Why would you, G, Lazarus is really ill, and he is going to die. And Jesus says, okay, good to know. I've got a couple more people I want to talk to, and I want to go see some things. I want to go do some things, and I'm going to show up. And I, 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 I think this is important for us to catch is this, that when Jesus delays, he is requiring Mary and Martha and his disciples to see something, that he is wanting to grow their faith or our faith. And God always works when it comes to this kind of stuff on his timetable, not on ours. He wants to grow their faith to trust him because he says he's going to do something. And, but it, we always want God to, all of us when we pray, um, that might be an overstatement, but most of us when we pray, we want, if, tell me if I'm wrong, we want God to respond right now. Am I right? 
Most of, very, God, rarely do we pray, God, I want you to answer my prayer on your timetable. Most of us pray, God, I want you to answer it right now. I want you to answer it right now. And so he was certainly trying to grow their faith, and he was going to work on his timetable. And here is the, here's the neat piece. He was about to demonstrate his power over death. Now, t- tell me which is, which is greater. Heal somebody who's sick or heal somebody who's dead? Just checking. It's a greater miracle to come to somebody who has been dead and say, stand up, come out, than to go, oh, you've got a little sniffle? Okay, you're better. He is, he is going to demonstrate a greater miracle and greater power, and that it's, this is so important, is that people will recognize that he, ha- he is the Son of God and that He has the power over death. He has the power over death. What was He trying to convey to grieving, His grieving sisters? Jesus was urging them to believe His Word no matter how discouraging it might be. I'm coming. I'm going to be there. When we're confronted with pain and suffering, we can find comfort and this is really important. If you're like, how do I find some comfort? I put it on the screen. You find comfort in, in His Word, in His presence, and the people around you. How many of you have found comfort in just reading God's Word? Okay, a chunk of you. How many of you have just sensed God's presence in the loss or the weight of just junk? Okay, a lot of you. How many of you, God has placed people in your life and they were right there saying the right thing or doing the right thing in your life, and you're going through a really difficult season. Okay? Chunk of you. Do you see how God can use all of those? God puts all of those in play so that He gives you tools that how, do I gonna, how am I going to take a step? And I, I know this about when we're going through very difficult seasons, God says just take a step. It doesn't need to be a big step. It just needs to be a step that you trust, that you allow people to walk alongside you. That you get that encouragement from what God is wanting to do. And I like this too. It says, if Jesus can do nothing about death, then whatever else he can do amounts to nothing. If Jesus can't do anything about death, then healing somebody is great. But Jesus is demonstrating, and it's, it's a pre to his resurrection, which is really important. This is really cool. Because if he can overcome, if he can raise somebody from the dead, and he can, then he can show you that he has the power over death. This is really amazing. So Jesus is about to demonstrate a greater miracle. So let's look at verse 17. He says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Would you say he's dead? (laughs) Sort of. I think so. Verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. I will tell you this. Uh, a wedding in Jesus' day and a funeral had a lot of people. They weren't just, it wasn't, it was a, it was a full-on city event, celebration or mourning. You had the mourners, they just would follow around wailing with the family. This was a, this was a, this was something that, in that culture, that's what they did. And so verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and prepared food for him. Is that what it says? Do you think Martha might have learned something? Possible. Because you know what it says? In the story that I, I, just, I just fabricated is that she, 
she started preparing when Jesus was coming. This time it says, look what it says. It says that when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. The I know means that she trusts Jesus a whole bunch. A whole bunch. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And, Mar- and Martha said, t- said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha was thinking that when Jesus coming, when, Jesus, when the, everybody ascends into heaven, he, he'll be, he'll rise. She's like, Jesus like, no. No. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Talking about eternal life. And then he says this to Martha, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. And I love this because I I looked up the I believe, and I want to give it to you accurately, a fixed and settled faith. The I believe means a fixed and settled faith. That means you're like, I do believe that. I really believe that's what you can do. Martha, Martha believed Jesus is having this intimate discussion with her and reminding her that he can do something. He says, I believe that you can, that you are the Christ, the son of a living God who's coming into the world. I believe you're, the, you're it, Jesus. You're the one. And it was, this is so cool because Jesus was bringing the resurrection of the future into the present. He was about to do something. He was about, the, the resurrection that everybody was planning on was down the road. He was about to bring it in, in front and center. And I love that. I love this too. Our hope is not in the resurrection. That's a good thing. But really, the most important thing is that it's in Jesus. Okay? That it's in Christ. And I love this. It says, what Jesus does for Lazarus proves that he has the power to keep his promises. How do we know this? Because you have to go back to verse 11. Look at what it says. It says, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. That should give you goosebumps. He's telling his disciples, he's asleep, he's dead, but I'm going and we're going to make this right. And she has acknowledged him as Savior of the world. In verse 28, it says, When she had said these, they went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And he went to to him. And they went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to the Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33. Going back to see, saw, look at, look at what it says. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And don't, don't, miss, don't miss the thing that's greatly troubled, like, oh, well, what am I going to do? He knows what he's going to do. But Jesus sees pain. 
He sees, he sees when somebody's hurting, he doesn't, he doesn't fold up his arms and say, you know, one of the things I've learned about pain and suffering that come into our world, some of it we bring, right? Some of it's just our de- poor decisions or our lack of decisions. Some of it's because of somebody else. Some of it is because we live in a fallen, broken world. This was not the way it was supposed to be. And then the other one that's the hardest one is it just is happening and we really don't know why. That God is up to something. We don't really get to see it. We, we can't, but we got to trust. So pain comes at us from a lot of different angles. And these sisters are grieving, not over anything that their brother did or they did. They're just, it's, it's life. This was not the way it was supposed to be. And Jesus feels the weight of everybody there. And he sees. Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly disturbed. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And uh, verse 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible, if in case you didn't know. And it just simply says this, Jesus wept. He wept. And so have you ever thought, why, why, what, what would Jesus weep over? I mean, there are crying people, so was he, was he caught up in their compassion for them? Uh, what, was, what, what was he, why did he weep? Why was he weeping? And I, I kind of came up with some things and see if, you, if they resonate with you. He certainly was weeping over Martha and Mary. They lost their brother, and he could feel their pain. He really could, okay? That right there tells you that Jesus doesn't look at our lives with binoculars. He looks at your soul right up close and personal. He knows. He knows. He knows. The other thing that I think that Jesus, the weeping, was over the callousness of some of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, the people that just the people that just would fold up their arms over him, that he didn't do things the right way in the right time, that he claimed to be God, that he was doing things that they couldn't do. They were, they were losing popularity. He was gaining popularity. They saw him teach a method, or they saw him teaching in ways that were contrary to what he was doing. They saw him, they, they, he was threatening to them. And instead of saying, the Savior of the world is coming, they saw him as a competitor. They saw him as competition. And so Jesus certainly would have been weeping over just the callousness of people. The weeping reveals the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully human. And how do we know this? Because when you go back to Isaiah 53.3, it says this. It says, He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He understood. He really understood what it was like to have pain and suffering in his life. His disciples, when the heat got turned on, what happened to all of his disciples right before his death, his his arrest and crucifixion? They were gone. Guys that he had been walking with for three and a half years, pouring his life into, when the heat got turned up, when it looked like it wasn't going to, they all deserted him. Do you think he had some pain? Absolutely he did. The other thing I'll tell you is this, is that the pain of living in a fallen world, 
At the moment when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, pain and suffering entered on an unprecedented level that we have never, we don't really fully understand the ramifications of living in a fallen world. None of us in this room know what paradise looks like. We can speculate, we can hope, we can kind of think, but we won't know that until we stand in the presence of God, what, what it looks like to be physically pain-free. No more pain of rejection. No more pain of disappointment. No more pain of, of growing older. No more pain of a wayward child. No more pain of whatever. We won't really know that until we stand in the presence of God. But what in the meantime, Jesus says, I will walk with you through it. He doesn't always remove our pain. Is that right? Some of our pain is for our teaching. I will tell you this, and I know this personally, that he never wastes any pain. You may not like it, you may not understand it, but he will use it to glorify himself in somebody else's life. Because if I can walk up to Corey and I can, I, he tells me something, I can go, man, something back in my younger days, maybe I can help him with that. You might be able to minister to somebody that no one else can minister to because of a season of life you have walked through personally and that God can use, Okay? I believe that, and I've seen that. Some of you in this room will minister to other people way better than I ever can because you have walked their road, and God knows that, and God uses that, and God says, I want to help you, and God, so he's put these people around us. Philip Yancey, who I love, Philip Yancey wrote some amazing books about just how walking with God through pain and suffering, and how do you see God and all that kind of stuff, and he said this, he said, Grief is the place where love and pain converge. Grief is the place where love and pain converge. So let's finish the story out. Says, so the Jews said, see, he loved him. But some said to them, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind? Also, could he not have wept in the dying? And then Jesus moved deeply again. He's like, these people are just struggling. He says, oh, Jesus was, he could feel the weight and they came to the tomb, and it was a and it was in the cave, and the stone lie against it. And Jesus said, "Take the stone." Martha said, "The, the sister Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days." And Jesus said to her, "Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God?" See, she kind of forgot that he said that he would do something. God, the, the stone, I mean, he's been dead for four days. If, if you'd have come when he was just had, when he was still alive, you probably could have done something. And look at Jesus. Jesus, let me help you out something. Jesus is really good at reminding you that he's there. He's, he, he remind you through people, through circumstances, through his word, through a song, through a gathering. God, he will remind you that he's there, that he's not looking at your life from a distance. He's looking at your life right up close and personal. And I love this. And so, so verse 31, so they took the stone away and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said to the father, I thank you that you have heard me. In verse 42, if you don't hear anything else I say today, in your pain and suffering, I want you to know this about our God. I knew that you always hear me. Your God hears you. Your God hears you in your pain and suffering. 
he hears when you cry out to him. He says, but I have said this on account of people standing outside that they may believe that you sent me. He goes, I want everybody to know that God has sent me to do this. And when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out in his hands and his feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, go and bind him and let him go. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like for his sisters to see four days prior they had buried their brother and Jesus walks up, they roll away the tomb and that odor hits them and they're thinking that's the odor, that's the smell of death. And they walk up and he, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he heals, brings him back from the dead brings him back in and brings him back to his sisters. And Jesus has this uncanny ability to get right up on us and see us for who we are and say, I can bring you back from the brink of death if you'll let me. I can bring you back because you're right on the edge of throwing it all away. You're right on the cusp of letting this pain hijack you permanently. Have you ever wondered why when you see um, mass shootings in our high schools, one of the things that they always find out is the pain of someone's life triggered something that they needed to take life. Were they bullied? Were they neglected? Was there something going on at home? Was it a, a whole mixture of a whole bunch of things? All we know is that pain and suffering have a way of hijacking us, of taking from us, and so when you look at Jesus and he comes up to Mary and Martha and he says, I'm personal, I'm going to walk with you, I'm going to care for you, I'm going to give you the tools you need, I'm going I'm to walk with you all the way through this if you'll let me. See, pain and suffering, if Jesus sees it, but the question is, will you allow him to do something about it? Will you allow him to heal it? Will you allow him to handle it? Because I know this, when I've got, sometimes I want the pain and suffering just so I can wallow in it. No one has it as bad as me. No one will understand. No, one does, no one's walked my shoes. No one, no one, no one. Let me just tell you, the scripture tells us there is someone who is acquainted with sin or acquainted with pain and grief and understands what we have walked through. No, he has not walked through as a sinner, but he has walked through it with the pain and suffering and the neglect and all the things that the world has to offer. Jesus sees your pain and wants to walk with you through it. It may not go away. I'll be honest with you. I've known lots of people that their pain's still there, but they also know that the Savior of the world is walking with them through it. He not only saw it, but he walked you through it. In this instance, he did a healing, but he did more than that. He was demonstrating that he was God and that he has the power over death, and that should give us some comfort because that means he has the power to help you get through whatever it is you are facing. If you have an addiction, he has the power to help you over it. If your marriage is in the toilet, he has the ability to, to help you get through it. If you are fighting loneliness, he has the ability. If your children are wayward, he has the ability. If you are spiritually dry, he has the ability to bring you back into an intimate relationship with you. If you have a friend who is lost, he has the ability to draw them to himself. 
there isn't anything that Jesus can't do. It's just that do we really want him to do it? Do we want to say, well, God, you didn't do anything there. I told you. Do you really want God to show up? Ask him to show up. Ask him to step in. You know, I've told you, you know, uh, when I went through a really dark season in ministry, I, I, I'm, I mean, the, it was the first church I'd ever served, um, and I let the pain of bitterness and anger and betrayal, and it manifested itself into a full-blown cancer in my life. Not for days and weeks, but for months and years. And as a, early in my student ministry days, man, I, I let... The, how that played out in church. And it wasn't church members, it was his pastor. And he, it was, it was really, um, it was painful. And I, I remember that there was a moment with some good friends at a conference that I stood before God and Beth and some other people and I did not like the darkness that was coming over my soul. It was scaring me because what I thought I could handle, what I thought I had control over, that I thought I could kind of just, I, I could kind of handle it, it was handling me. And I remember that God placed that conference and a group of trusted friends right around me and I asked them to pray over me because the pain and suffering that I carried, and you know why, one of the reasons why I carried it for so long is I just wanted to be mad at him. I wanted to use it as a weapon. You know, the funny thing is the weapon was being used against me. I had already moved on to a church. I wasn't punishing him. I was punishing myself. I allowed that to stay way longer than it should have. And it hijacked me, not him. I wasn't punishing him anymore. It was punishing me. And I remember I grabbed those people and I said, I don't like the pain and suffering. I don't like where it's taking me. I don't like the person I'm becoming because of it. And God has placed you people around me. And I want you to pray for me. And you know what they did? They got up and I knelt down on a floor and they got around me and they asked God to heal me of my anger and bitterness and resentment. And let me just tell you, pain, if you haven't had pain in a long time, can it not lead to those things? It can well, God, why can't I get better? They get better. God, that's not fair. They, they, they've got that. I don't. You can, you can go there real easy. And so they got around me and they prayed. And folks, I'm going to tell you, when you allow people, when you allow the, the people of God to come around you and just pray over you and comfort you between his word and, his, and himself and, and people, God, that's how God helps us get through the seasons of pain that we all face. And they did. And you know, the crazy thing is some of those are some of my best friends today. It hasn't changed. And I have walked with them through their own stuff and they've walked with me through mine. So if you're thinking about how do I see pain? How, you know, how do I see people? I, I wrote this down and I may, it may not help you. It, it helps me because it reminds me. Seeing pain means this loving people enough to enter their suffering. Loving people enough to enter their world. It may take you well out of your comfort zone. You may not have answers. You don't need to. 
Sometimes people just need you to be there. And that's the second one. Loving people enough to sit, pray, and weep with them. Will you, will you walk with somebody? And, and you may not utter anything significant other than the fact you're physically present. And I'm going to remind you, Jesus may not always say anything, but you can trust that he is present. Amen. He is present. And there's a calming effect that he brings through that. Okay? And so he steps into a sister's world and does an amazing work in, in that environment to show that he is, he is to be glorified. He has the power over death. He, he sees pain. He responds to it. He does it. If, if you caused your pain, he doesn't look at your life and go, well, no, you're on your own. He wants to redeem you. If you have allowed things into your world and, you're, and it's caused pain, he wants to heal it and redeem it. And he can. He can. I'm living proof. I mean, I, I, some of the stuff I, I caused. And God's like, I can do something with that. I'll close with this, Romans 12, 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're called to walk with people. And to, you know, if, if, here's what I typically have learned. When you ask somebody how they're doing, you're hoping they'll say fine and just keep on going. Because what if they stop and say, can I tell you something? So if you're going to ask that question, be prepared to give them some TLC. Okay. Because if you're going to ask God to come in in your world, then you've got to be prepared to go into somebody else's world. And God does that, and He's good at that. He sees it, and let me just tell you, God is never surprised by what's going on in your world. He's never going to go, oh, whoa, I don't know what to do there. He knows what to do. Just trust Him with it. He sees it, and He wants to do something about it. He wants you to see it. He wants to see how he'll respond through his word, through himself, and through people that he places in your life. And he does an amazing job. And there's not anything that he can't get you through. It may stay. Hear me. It may stay. But it doesn't mean that he's not there too. He's walking with you right through it. How many of you are going through a fairly difficult season and it hasn't gone away, but you felt sense that God is kind of still there? Okay, a chunk of you. Okay? That's reminder that God is still at work and that your stuff is real and it may not go away for now, but he is still with you all the way through it. Here's the other thing I know about pain and suffering, and I'll close, is sometimes that pain and suffering has the, has the ability to, don't we pray more? Don't we kind of lean in on God a little bit more? Aren't we more sensitive to God? Are, it, it gives us an awareness of God. It's like, man, I, man, God, I'm just tired. Man, God, this, this, this revolving door of the hospital, this revolving door of this, or this thing hasn't really been resolved. This stuff is still here, God. But it's who you go to that is so crucial. Are you going to go back to God? Because he sees it, but are you going to allow him to work through it in some capacity? And so I pray that you will know that our God is not looking at your life with a set of binoculars from a distance, but he is right close and personal and wants to walk you through it and does an amazing job if you'll let him, I promise. Let me pray.
Father, I have to believe in a room with this many people, there is some real, legit pain going on. And it could be spiritual, it could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be parenting, marriage, job, future, past, present. It could be a host of things, God. And Father, I am grateful that you look at our lives not with a set of binoculars from a distance, but up close and personal. That you see us and that you know us. And that there's not anybody in this room that you can't do something amazing in their life. There's not anybody in this room that you, you are distant from, that you wanna, they, you're just right there if they'll let you. I pray, God, that there'll be some in this room that they need to find healing. Some, it may be spiritual healing. They have allowed everything into their lives except you. And maybe the most important decision they make this morning is to say, I need the Savior of the world, the healer of the world to be my Savior and Lord. And I need to make that step because I can't carry this pain anymore. And I know that the Savior of the world wants to do that. There may be some in this room that they're followers of you, but pain doesn't go away of all shapes and sizes. And I pray, God, that they would know, even if the pain doesn't go away, that they would know your presence in a very real and comforting and confident way this morning. That like Martha, they would have this resolute faith in you that, yeah, God, you can. I know you're here. And God, I just ask that we would not um, walk out of here not knowing that you care, that you see, and that you're willing and able And I pray for the next few moments, God, that if there are some in this room that need to just use this stairwell as an altar just to do some business with you, that they will. And if there is a a person, a student, a senior adult, child, I don't care who, if if they don't know the Savior of the world, that, man, come talk to Corey and I. We would be honored to help them understand what the Savior of the world wants to do in their life. But it takes a step. Thank you, God, for that. In your name I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand. This altar is available.